As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Fourier. So excited to be back with the latest episode in addition. I'm actually today uh, broadcasting, uh, well, I won't say live because we're not technically live, but I'm live as I say right <laughs> now uh, from San Diego, beautiful San Diego. Uh, so Mitch Kamich, really excited to have you here with us today. And Mitch, where I always like to start for our brand new, especially first time guests, uh, is to get them to tell us a little bit about who they are, their backstory, uh, just so people that maybe are discovering them for, for the first time can learn a little bit more about them. So can you tell us a little bit about who Mitch is? You got it, Corey. Well, obviously, Corey, Corey and I have known each other for a while. Mitch Camage with Mitch Camage Coaching, and I'm a business coach. So I'm a guy that fixes broken things in business. Uh, broken things like cash or broken things like time management, broken things like hiring and firing and care and feeding of the animals, how to sell, how to market your business, how to, how to plan strategically and grow it from there. Uh, there's a lot of coaches in the world and lots of coaches work with people. I work with businesses primarily and I make stuff work. And if it doesn't work or you don't have it, I help to build it. And that's the nutshell dump of who Mitch Kamage is. I love it. And so I guess, Mitch, I'm going to dive in deep right from the first sort of minute, if you will. But when you're working with clients, where do you see, because this is, so something I struggle with is the fact that if you look back hundreds of years, I mean, we'd go back thousands of years, maybe, mm-hmm. but at least thousands, especially hundreds, and see that it's been kind of, the fundamentals have been shared over and over and over again. They've been documented. It's, you know, here's what works, here's what doesn't. And yeah, there's always variables. But the truth is, is that we wouldn't know how many people would succeed using the fundamentals because I would say only 5% actually do, even though it's been written about over and over again. So just to put a, a, a sort of a visual on it, Think and Grow Rich, you know, a book like that was written in 1936. Yep. And yep. if you follow that book, I mean, they say it's created more millionaires than any other book. So the proof is it does work. So here's my question out of all that, Mitch. Why, first of all, why do you think people, even though we've known it and it seems to keep working, still would rather go the opposite way and uphill battle and make mistakes? And then the secondly is, what are the common mistakes you see that people do make? Sure. Uh, Napoleon Hill's book is a, is a seminal piece. There's a few others that are, that are absolute foundations or fundamentals. Uh, I guess that's what the word foundation means, that you have to have in your business education. Um, it's not universal. It's like common sense. It's not too common. The three biggest reasons people fail in business is that they're not mindful of their cash, their cash flow which seems really self-evident, but they don't, they don't balance their checkbook regularly enough to know how much money they have or don't have and so they can get into trouble and hurry. Uh, people, you know, for every business that needs employees or needs people around them, we're, we're atrocious at hiring and keeping people in our business. And, and lastly, we get really busy, so we stop selling. And then when we get really, really quiet, we scramble to find anything that resembles a heartbeat and somebody that's breathing and can cash a check. And then we've got business. So we don't, we're not conscientious about our business development. So the three biggest things that keep business moving, managing your cash, making sure that you and your people are okay for the business and fit, fit the job that they need to do. And then just being able to sell and market, attract more business. 
they're, they're the cornerstones and they are the constant reason businesses fail all the time. And your allusion to 5%, it's smaller than that. It's 3% in 10 years. You know, three out of 100 businesses are left standing. 97 out of 100 die because they don't manage their cash flow. They don't get good employees or they don't treat them very well and they don't sell effectively. So what we take for granted as, as universal truths, which they are, are not universal facts or universally learned unless you pick up a book or hire a coach or do anything else like that to help your business along. So it's something everybody quote unquote knows. Oh, I manage my cash flow. Oh, you know, I know what I'm looking for in a good employee. Oh, no, I don't have any problems selling right now. Business is going great. Well, you're lying. I know you're lying because math says you're lying. Math says in a room of 20 people, 19 of you are all going to say the same thing. And I know all of you are lying. <laughs> that's only one of you is going to be doing really well. So yeah, that's, Universal education, universal truths, not universally known. So, and, and you know, I would love to be optimistic and say, so how great is this now? We've been teaching this for so long. It's finally going to sink in and, and it's going to go up to like 50% from 3%. But history, likewise, as we said, has shown us that's not the case. So yeah. what, what is the goal, do you think, Mitch, like for yourself, let's say, are you trying to maybe just move it up eventually 1% more, <laughs> like, you know, to 4%, like, because 4%, if 3% are surviving now, look at what it's doing for the economy. Imagine yeah. 4%, like people like, I'm going to do 50, it's like the people that say, I'm going to impact 10 million lives in the next three years. No, you're not. <laughs> you know, the odd, again, to your point, less than 1% are going to reach that many people. And, yeah. or the people say, I'm going to create a million millionaires by 2020. You're yep. going to do it in the next 12 months, are you? Like, so what I'm saying is that's not realistic <laughs> much the same way. Us saying we'll get to, from 3% to 20% is unrealistic in, in a short span of times if it's been this way forever. So are you just trying to help, you know, get an extra, if we get elect, like an extra 1% in the next whatever amount of years, that could be astronomical. Is that the goal is to just try to help more people figure this out? You know, Corey, that's a, that's a really interesting point of view. Um, I actually don't look at it from a, a, a macro scale like that. If I can impact 1% of all business or, 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 five, or you know, half a percent of the business or 4% of the business, um, if you can take a business, a little business, and I'll use Alberta, my marketplace as an example, 88,000 businesses, 84% uh, of their small businesses, so that's 76,000 businesses. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really ambitious and I work an awful lot. So I've had the privilege of working with 228 businesses in the last five and a half years. Do the math on that percentage out of the 76,000 small businesses. That's minuscule. That is tiny. It is a tiny, tiny fraction of, of, of that total number of businesses. Yet, if you can get those businesses to turn 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 80% growth, now you think of the, the, the impact instead of being the one business has that impact from a growth model. So 80% on half a million bucks. Well, they made another 400,000. It's really not an awful lot of money. But that 400,000 might employ two or three more employees. And now you've gone from two or three employees to six employees. So you've impacted six households, six families. And the buying power of those six households, six families, when they go from two or three employees to six employees, your impact has just doubled in the marketplace. So there's only $400,000 in growth from a macro level in the market. Not a lot, but that is, that is two or three families to five or six families now moving out of the marketplace and buying and transacting and, and taking impact on things. So if, if you think of it from the little perspective, every time you can add about another $150,000 to $200,000 in revenue to a business, a business could take, technically take on an employee. If you take on an employee, you impact a family. You impact a family, you impact schools. You impact 
uh, post-secondary institutions. You impact recreation. You impact movie theaters. You impact gas being bought. You impact a grocery store. So one of these changes in that little level, if I have to look at it, that's my goal. My goal is to have that, that micro impact, which bleeds out. That's the ripples in the pond. I'm happy throwing pebbles in the pond and not looking for a big splash because long-term, that's going to do more good. If we go into another economic downturn like we did four years ago, and, and some pundits are saying we've got another one coming, so here's the scary stat. In as little as two years, that we've got another one coming, just like that. Not as violent, but it'll still be around for a bit. Well, if you can, if you can help three companies stay afloat that would have collapsed before, and those three companies in turn, because of the business they do with everything else, depending on the industry, can bolster up another three companies. You've had a massive impact, you know? And if those companies continue to continue to impact, so three companies impact three companies and each company is five employees, well, you just impacted 30 households. That's what, the, that's what the return is that comes off of this. And so I like to think of it in a micro scale. From a macro, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what I would wanna do. I like to think of it from a micro because if I keep affecting families, they keep taking money out of the marketplace. That's what stabilizes things. So very interesting, uh, likewise, point of view, Mitch. And, and so I'll, I'll follow up with this and, you know, may or may not be a, a popular, popular question uh, because, as you know, I do a large amount of my business and work in Alberta trying to impact lives as well. And yep. if we're being, you know, honest, and I just want to get your opinion on this, but I think today's election day, am I wrong? Correct. Yeah. Okay, so election day in Alberta. And one of the things that, I, so it's funny when you talk about numbers. So one of the, th I was just driving the car the other day and listening to this ad by uh, one of the um, political members of a party. And I'll just say it this way, and especially for people listening worldwide that don't know the situation in Alberta, but you know, there's a current government some people aren't happy with. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, this conversation is not to, you know, say this is good or bad or, or, or different. Yeah. But one of the things I heard on the radio is that it said, uh, they were talking about uh, how many people are without jobs in Alberta. And they said, you know, 200,000 people without jobs in Alberta. Uh, we can't let this happen again. So for me, the way I am, I'm like, well, I need to know details on that. Not, you know, I'm making a judgment if it's good or bad. I need to go and look at what the stats are. Because 200,000, to your point about numbers, sounds like a big, big number. But then you got to go and look at the population. Then you got to yeah. say, how does that compare to previous years? Because it's easy to say 200,000 are without work, but what if at 1.300,000 were? Like it doesn't, but yeah. the problem is when you hear an ad, you just go, wow, that's too many people. And that's a lot of people. So I went and looked at the numbers. And yes, uh, 2016, from what, what it showed in the stats, statistic.com, I think it is, uh, 2016 was the highest unemployment rate in 20 years in Alberta. 2017 yep. was the second highest. But interestingly, 2013 went back to like the same as it was 2010 and I think another year. And then what the, the interesting part about the whole thing is if you look at 200,000 people in Alberta based on the current population, it's like roughly 5%, a little less than 5%. Yep. If you look at the last 20 years, it's never been lower than 3.8 or something like that. So what I'm getting yep. at is by that politician saying that going against the current party, if you were actually to go crunch the numbers, the actual unemployment rate has come down over the last four years to almost where it's always been. They don't want you necessarily know that. So it's, my point is, is that it's easy to paint a picture with numbers. But here's what I want to ask you about all this, Mitch. The other article I ended up reading about Alberta right now is they're saying um, the way oil is right now in Alberta and the way the world's going, the idea that there's going to be another heyday like we experienced in the 90s is probably limited. They're saying that yep. 
it's not going in the right direction if you're in that business. So my question out of all of this, which relates to the micro business, so believe it or not, all of what I just said, you can comment on any of that, relates to what I'm about to uh, mention, is to your point, I think it's more important than ever in Alberta and everywhere, but in Alberta specifically, to start getting these micro businesses and uh, focus on other areas other than gas and oil. If the outlook for gas and oil doesn't look good for the next while, and changing a government probably isn't going to change that outlook if people are starting to find cheaper ways to get that same oil. I don't know yeah. your thoughts on all this, but I'm concerned about this as a, as a person who spends a lot of my time in Alberta and a former Albertan, but I think I'd also like to look at it realistically rather than just go, oh, change the government and everything will get fixed. Anyway. Well, uh, except for really specialized uh, industries or specialized professions, all of it's translatable. Or, you know, every one of these skill sets, we, a lot of 18 to 19-year-old people went off to the oil patch instead of going to college university, you know, and then they went through trades programs and they became welders and pipe fitters and, and steam fitters and iron workers and, and all these other wonderful professions that came across. Well, all of these skill sets are translatable. Uh, the, the impact we have on the marketplace because oil and gas might never get back to that there has to do with the economic driver, the amount of money available in the market. You know, there's an awful lot of people walking around that make a lot less money now than they did four years ago. And that's the, that's the new reality. And, and oil and gas isn't going where, anywhere for the next 30 or 40 years, simply because we've got so much invested in it. Yet, an awful lot of that, to your point, that development is not going to come the same way it did before. So these people need to find those, those places, those other ways to do it, to go off and continue to subcontract, to continue to put a rig in the back of the truck, to continue to do all these other things and working and shipping and supplying and that. But they've got to face the reality that the industry as we knew it four years ago is not going to be the same. Yet their skill set is absolutely translatable. And it is portable. It can go anywhere. It can go anywhere in the province. It can go anywhere in Western Canada. It can go anywhere in the world. And there's other places where that, where that skill is in demand too. So if we get over the, um, I'm going to say something incredibly unpopular, regional sentimentality. That, I, that it must be here in a global marketplace. If you don't go where business is for what you do and you stubbornly want to do business only in a certain way, then unapologetically, the marketplace is going to weed your business out of, out of existence. You know, the business cycle is the, is the natural ecosystem. It is biology. It is, it is not economics. It is not finance. It is biology. Uh, the smaller animals get eaten by the larger animals, and the weaker animals die off when the, when the climate does not give them favorable weather. If we don't address that from that perspective, and all of these small business people don't go, I've got this and I can do a certain thing, I have to find the new way to do it, or I'm not going to eat, or I'm not going to take care of my family, or I'm not going to impact that, the, the economy, one household, one family, one grocery shopping trip at a time that's going to be a huge problem. And again, boils back to education, your first question. That has to be it. If they don't find the way to do it or they don't, they don't take the opportunity to learn to do it a different way, the unemployment's going to stay at about 5%, which it is, right? But it's going to continue to be that sector screaming because the money isn't there like it was four years ago. Sky didn't fall, it changed. And, and unfortunately, that means that there needs to be an adjustment by the people that are there, but most of them just don't know what to do. So I love that. And to your point, Mitch, I just did a talk uh, for a group in Alberta. And, you know, for the sake of, uh, because this is a public interview, I won't say their name. Uh, I can tell you offline if you want. Uh, I will tell you, uh, this is a hint. It's, it's a restaurant group. <laughs> I'll just give you yes. that. And, uh, and so the point is, is that um, 
they want me coming and talk about surviving and thriving. It, and they didn't say these terms. They just said, it's a struggle right now. Why don't you come and talk with this? And I said, well, I'm not going to come in and talk about a tough economy. I want to come in and talk about surviving and thriving in a new economy. Because mm-hmm. to your point, Mitch, I think we have to accept that it's evolving. It's changing. It's, it's not going to be like I used to sell fax machines. I brought this up at this talk. I used to sell fax machines for Toshiba in Edmonton. In literally in West Edmonton, you probably even know where they're located, um, or <laughs> near 170th Street is when I was working there, and sold photocopiers and fax machines. And I was, and I'm not making this up, and this will blow minds of people that don't know a whole lot about this. I sold fax machines and made $2,000 commission selling fax machines. Now, either it's connected to a copier, meaning it's not even a separate standalone fax, or you buy the staples for 200 bucks. So the idea that a person could make $2,000 is insane. I did that in Alberta in 99. There were guys yeah. I worked with in the 70s that were making $5,000 selling a fax machine. So I think it'd be very naive to think that's ever changing. Well, we accept it in that industry that you're never going to make that kind of money. In fact, you can't even make that money selling a color photocopier anymore. And yet yeah. people were making like $15,000, $20,000 selling one back then. So I think it's just accepting that we're in a new economy, but that doesn't mean that that new economy is not creating billionaires. It's not creating micro businesses that aren't tripling in size. I don't you agree, I think, but I think the economy, there's, there's always going to be people that thrive. But to your point, I think it's a, uh, an understanding that you have to change if things change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up for one second of the unemployment rate. Uh, our population of Alberta is expected to be 4.3872 million people in 2019 okay. with a plus minus of about 48,000 people. Okay. Which means unemployment for 200,000 people, that's scary number, 4.5%. The industrial average nationally is just a touch over five. So, you know, there's 200,000 people unemployed. You're right, it's terrifying. There's 4.5 million people in the province. So uh, why, that, why that makes sense uh, in connection to this part of the conversation, there's always going to be that percentage of people can't won't or don't move and that doesn't mean that 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 ever you know people don't have bad luck people don't have a bad spot people don't have due to situation circumstance uh family um that that they can just up and uproot and move to you know dubai to go work in oil and gas instead no 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 that's not the advocacy but if we don't do something to adapt and grow at 18 you packed up and you went to work for a camp in the north and started to become a, a steam fitter and did all your coursework in the summer. You went to school for 10 weeks out of the year and busted your ass 40 hours a day to come back and get your ticket stamped and get the next page in your apprenticeship done going through two years or four years. And then you became a journeyman and got all that education done. Well, you're in your 30s or 40s staring up the butt end of unemployment. Yes, the market we're in now to take what you're talking about, time to adapt. Time to adapt and grow. Stop sitting around and wondering what's going on. People are going to go, how can you be so cruel? It's not cruelty. It is not meanness, but it's time to learn something new. You learn something at 18, you got to learn something at 30. And with the market we're in, you're going to have to learn something at 40. And then you have to learn something at 50. And then you're going to have to learn something at 60 because that's what the world's changing. A mentor of mine is 78 years old and he adopted Max when the first Mac came out. And the guys had a new one of every version of that and has used it in every business he's ever done since then. And he's still incredibly adept. So if a 70-year-old dude, a 78-year-old dude who worked in real estate for so many years can figure out how to Mac works and uh, run all sorts of things online and, and marketing and, and lots of fun and publications and podcasts and crap like that, 
There's no excuse for a dude in his 30s or 40s or a chick in her 30s or 40s to go, I got to learn something new to adapt to what the marketplace is giving me. Love it. And so as we start winding down, one other thing I'll say in terms of this one area is, and I, I experienced this as somebody who grew up in the Maritimes, Atlantic Canada. Again, for people listening in the U.S., that may not have a point of reference for you, but, uh, you know, Mitch, we're talking about Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary is the one places most people know in the U.S. I would yeah. say in Atlanta, Canada, I'm from PEI. Most people are like, what's that? Uh, so usually Nova Scotia is what people know. And so near Nova Scotia, well, growing up in Atlanta, Canada, the thought was always when you hit a certain age, you go to Alberta, you make a bunch of money, you bring it back home to the family. Whether that's yep. years later or whether that's you have a family at home you're bringing it back home to, or you go to Alberta, you think you're going to bring it back home to the family and spend it all at the bars every weekend. Whatever that looked like, <laughs> the point is, is that I know friends now that are like, what do I do? There's no more go away to Alberta and make money. Well, guess what? Yeah. You're going to have to figure out a way to adapt. And you, yeah. it, really, you should be grateful you had 30, 40, 50, 100 years of that. Thank yeah. you, Alberta. But at the same time, to your point, Mitch, there's got to be a point where that changes. And maybe, maybe it's, it's forcing us as Canadians in general to adapt to the idea that you have to change eventually. You can't just always stay the same. Uh, to circle this back to that, that small business owner, do you think this is, and, and I said we were winding down, I have a few last quick questions for you, but I want yeah. to ask this. Do you think for that small business owner or that person that's working in this trade, do you think this is a good time for them to maybe look at expanding a business or starting a business? You know, I think of the tradesperson, like maybe is that an option? Maybe do they say, as you say, can I be a consultant? Can I do something different than relying on this thing that's going away, perhaps? Like, do you think it's a good time to start? Yeah. A business, I guess is my question. To, to answer the thought, I, I watched a news article. I was at a conference just this past weekend. Watched a news article about a guy that got pinched up in the oil and gas downturn. Went home. His wife said, hey, I do something recreational. Let's launch a business. It's two years later. They launched a chocolate empire, chocolate making empire. And they make chocolates. And they're making just a killing making chocolates. Now, not everybody needs to rush out and start making chocolates. But there's, there's no, no excuse or no opportunity. It has never been better in the world at any time than it is right now. If for $200, you can legally register a business. So provide some clarity, some tax advantages, and some protection from your assets in case something doesn't work out. For a handful of dollars, you can set up a website and get socially relevant in a hurry. For time and circumstance, you can attract attention to your business for largely free if you're willing to trade off your time for putting the work in just on social media to attract attention of potential clients and customers. There's no excuse not to start now. I will not say that is there, is there a reason or a litmus or should people do it? I'm going to say there's no excuse. It needs to be harsh like that. You have no reason not to get off your butt and do it. You know, um, Gary V is one of, is one of my boys. I love his stuff. And he says, if you're going to work from nine o'clock in the morning to five o'clock at night and you're, you're an empty nester, you're a baby boomer and your kids have moved out or whatever it is, you have from 7 PM until midnight. Cause you're probably not sleeping longer than five or six hours at night. Anyway, at that age, you're going to get up to pee a whole bunch too. You go from <laughs> 7 PM until midnight to build a business five nights a week. So if you go to work for somebody else, 40 hours a week, 44 hours, hours a week to earn full time. Why are you not willing to invest 25 hours of your own time if you only want to work Monday to Friday to build your own thing? If you're going to spend a year working 45 hours a week, I can put in two weeks of solid labor in a single month on my own hustle and still have weekends off. I can spend 100 hours a month developing a business. That 100 hours aggregated over an entire year is 1,200 hours of time in a business. If I take that for the next three years and I keep doing my own hustle, that's 3,600 hours in a year. Uh, in, in three years between two and 3000 hours is competency in any skill you develop. 
I don't really know what to do, but I got a passion for doing something. Spend the next three years of your life at night doing something that you like or enjoy or want to learn how to do. And in three years, you're going to find you're pretty good at it. Probably as good as the job you're working right now. You will have done it in the time you got spare and chances are you'll make money at it too. And then you've got a really tough decision. Do I keep my job or do I keep spinning this business up and make it a real, make it a real boy instead of just Pinocchio on strings? Wow. So Mitch, I promised we were winding down. And so my very last two-parter question, one, uh, this is my favorite question to ask. If you could jump into a time machine, go back and talk to a younger Mitch, give him one piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, especially working with businesses, what would you tell him? And the second question is where can people connect with you to to learn more? Uh, The younger me did not listen very well. So I would be very diplomatic because he would probably choke me out. That'd be that I, I spent too many years in the martial arts and young me was, was uh, obdurant, recalcitrant. So he would definitely punch me right in the face. I would tell him that where I'm sitting at right now, I'd get started 10 years sooner. You know, I'm a coach. I got a good business. I work with lots of businesses, but I'm in my forties. I would tell me to get off my ass earlier in life and start in my late twenties, early thirties and start instead of starting my late thirties, early forties, I would, I would get off my butt and say to do that and to stick with the grind to say, listen, you were willing to invest five years. This is what it's going to look like at that point. And if that's the case, then 25 year from now, me is going to thank you an awful lot for getting off your butt and doing this, right? If I went and talked to 25 year old me and listen, in 20 years, we could have an incredibly gracious, grace, grateful, gracious, and, and exceptionally put together existence uh, for that reason. So I would go back and tell me to get started sooner. And I would tell me to adopt technology faster. I'm a technophile, but I would adopt everything a lot quicker as it came along than the stuff I, that I'd be doing right now. Uh, so Mitch, the last question is where can we connect with you and learn more? I am a child of the digital age, even though I'm in my 40s. God help me. Uh, you come find me on social media, at Mitch Camage on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, at Mitch Camage Official on Facebook. I live, I live in the big four. I'm making moves into other areas, YouTube and that. But you need to find me. You want to learn a little more or you need to make a change. That's where you come and get me. Get at me on Facebook, Mitch Camage Official. You'll find me there. And, I, and hey, then it's time to rock and roll. Mitch Kamich, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much. Uh, We'll call it that to be continued, and we will uh, circle back with you in the near future. So thanks again, Mitch. It's been a pleasure. You got it, brother. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Thank you. Absolutely. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.